Open with me in your copy of the Word of God to the book of Exodus. The books of Exodus uh, will be in chapter 15 this morning. Now, just a few words at the head here before we, before we read. Um, I have a memory. I can. Uh, Drew Hodge is a ministry partner of mine. We worked together for seven years in, at this church that we prayed for earlier in the service. And uh, before I moved here in 2017, for those of you who are newer, Christy and I are kind of new around here compared to those who've been here for 20 and 30 and 40 years. Uh, we'll be new for a little while. But uh, Drew and Chrissy, his wife is here, were two of the people who prayed for this church and who prayed for Christy and I on our way over. And I remember some advice Drew gave me uh, at the gym on one of our last visits together before he moved. He said, Trent, uh, you need to do three things, man. One, you need to start getting an adult to cut your hair. Um, or something like get an adult haircut. So you can thank God for his advice. In that case, I came here and found someone to cut my hair. Um, the second thing he said was, take your kids along in the ministry. Drew is a pastor's son, and uh, that was his advice from his experience to me, to bring my kids along. So you see my kids along in meetings, and you see them tucked around me, that's what's going on. Uh, third thing he said, um, sorry, uh, um, he said, hey, when you move there, be open to the idea that you'll fall in love with them. Um, and the Lord has done that. So it's good to be here. Let's get into the word. All right, Exodus 15. Exodus chapter 15. This is God's word. We have for ourselves this morning a victory song. It's a good song. Let's read it together. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them, and they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be, shall have its fill of them. And I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead. In the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. And all the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, 
for he has triumphed gloriously. And the horse and his rider, he's thrown into the sea. Well, there is one thing better that I can think of than being saved. Am I supposed to say that? I'm a pastor. I pitch being saved. We just prayed people would get to be saved. But there is one thing better than being saved. It's praise. It's singing to the Lord of our salvation. It is singing to our salvation. To the one who not only has delivered us from something, but to his very self. And that's what we sing to this morning. Yes, there is something better than salvation from. It's salvation to. It's praise. And that, I think, is something of the point of this chapter here, where it's sitting, what it's doing here, and how it's put together. And that wouldn't be obvious if, unless we were working through the book of Exodus. And our series from about a year ago wouldn't do much good. It was three sermons. It's a really good series. You should look it up. But it wasn't a slow walk through the book. It was a high-level summary of the book. We drop in this morning into the book of Exodus, into chapter 15, where we have read this morning a song. It informs the songs that we've sung together. It informs the song that we'll sing at the end of the service. We spend our time this morning on this song. And I think it's the point of the song, where it's at, how it's shaped, to lead us to give praise to God and to teach us something about the importance of singing praise to God. Consider when this song happens. Then Moses and the people of Israel. Well, if you were to look at the book of Exodus here, chapter 14 is the account of the Exodus where God's people, God had come to Abraham with a promise that he would be the father of many nations and he'd have many offspring. And his people and his family and the nation by his name was in bondage to Egyptian slavery. And they were growing and growing and growing just as God had promised. And as God's people grow, they had become a threat. And Egypt had turned against this people whom they had a hearty relationship with at some point. And God had delivered them from their slave master, whom we'll hear a bit more about before we're done. And then, after we read the story of that event, we get a song in response to that event. We have a story in 14. We have a song in 15, which we just read. We have redemption in chapter 14, and we have a response to that redemption in chapter 15. You could say we have prose in chapter 14, and we have glorious, poetic praise in chapter 15. In other words, God wants us to know what to do once he saves us. He's instructing us here by putting a whole chapter-length song after the story of his redemption so that he might lead us to sing his great praise. And we need this song for more reason than just his praise, as we will see. So something of when this happens, just after the Exodus, 1.5 million people landing on a shore after God's miraculous deliverance, singing. That's a big choir. You all sing pretty loud. And uh, I imagine they were louder. But they didn't have as low of a ceiling, so, you know, I'm sure it escaped into the air. Well, just consider where this song happens in the book. So, when it happens, chapter 14 and 15, when it happens in the book. It's right in the middle of the book. The book of Exodus cuts two ways, 1 through 14, And then, well, 15 through chapter 40. This song comes right in the middle of the book. And right in the middle of the book, it's telling us something about how central praise is to God and his plan for you and for me and for our church here today. It's why we're singing as much as we are. God has made the point in a variety of ways. Now consider the structure of the thing. You can cut it in two ways. Verses 1 through 12 Look backwards at what God has done. Verses 13 through the rest of the verses here, 21, look forward to what God will do. And get this, 
Verses 1 through 12, look back at what has happened already in the book. And verses 13 through 21, look forward to what he's going to do in the rest of the book. In other words, this song is an outline of the whole story of Exodus. Here's an outline for your book. And verse 13 of chapter 15 is, is an outline of the chapter. So I hope you can feel the weight of the song. Every chapter in this book is crucial. But this chapter is special. This is the song version of the whole book. So you want to read Exodus this afternoon? Just open up chapter 15. If you want, I won't call you lazy. You could be efficient. Less is more. Just read verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Now this morning we're not going to spend time merely analyzing ancient lyrics. That's not what this is. This is not, every church has a few nerds. So every preacher knows this. You get an email about some really obscure ancient Near East detail and then the preacher tries not to have feelings about the email because it missed the point. And often it's wrong anyways. And then you pray for the person (laughs) and you send as many emails to me as you want. But this is not some analytical exercise like a classroom lecture on an ancient text. There was one commentary that had some seven pages on the structure of this song. I skimmed it. I did not use your precious funds to support my work to read dull seven pages on the structure of the psalm. I got what I needed. And we've ruminated on it already this morning. Now, we're not analyzing ancient lyrics. We, this morning are being invited by God himself into the experience and expression of our own salvation in this song, which was not just for them, but which is also for us. In fact, we find parts of this song spread throughout the rest of the Bible and even in the book of Revelation. We'll be singing this song for a while, so let's get, let's get started with it. Our sermon will fall in two parts today. We'll, we'll take a look back and then we'll take a look ahead and consider how this song can help us. And I would put to you, I would put to you that singing the gospel is how the Lord teaches us week in and week out where he has brought us. But it is more than that. Singing the gospel is not only how the Lord teaches us where he brought us, It looks forward, but even more than that, singing the gospel is how the Lord takes us where he's leading us. So we need to sing, and not just sing, we need to sing the gospel, and I pray you'll be convinced of that. I'm going to give you a couple reasons to sing, just two. They're good reasons. They're in the Bible. The first reason to sing, friends, sing to the Lord who sank his enemies like a stone. Sing to the Lord who sank his enemies like a stone. I can hardly think of a more vivid picture of defeat than a stone at the bottom of the sea. I can hardly think of a lesser threat. I never worry about stones at the bottom of the sea. They're not going anywhere. They're done. They have been sunk. I can hardly think of a more vivid contrast than a stone and one who plays with rocks. But God isn't just playing with rocks this morning. Oh, he is throwing them around. He is sinking them to the bottom of the sea. It's a good image. No, this is personal. He's doing more than playing with rocks. He's redeeming his people. This victory, and that's just one of the many images in here, This victory that God has wrought for Israel, this victory is intensely personal. Let's look at verses one through three. Verse two, the psalmist is praying, Moses, excuse me, and Miriam, who probably wrote this together, their brother and sister. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Singing's personal. We've got a song book 
we use in the back end to design our services. And I've actually got a tag. Songs about God, songs to God. So look for it. We're not just in here to sing doctrine. We're here to rejoice over it. And we're to sing to the God about whom doctrine speaks. And this is personal. Personal is not touchy-feely. Maybe touchy-feely is okay in certain doses. And I suppose we have to define what we mean. But when you come to church, I pray you're eager not just to learn about God, to hear, um, hear an oration, to mingle with your friends, but to speak with, even sing to, your God. And this personal matter of victory goes a couple ways. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The Lord is his name. His name. Now turn to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. You don't need to turn there with me. But just consider what God is after in all of this. He promises to his people, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession I am the Lord. In other words, don't forget my name. Don't forget my name. When God came to Abraham, he, excuse me, Moses, he came to Moses in a burning bush and he said, I am that I am. He gave Moses his name. God has given his name to his people. Call me by my personal name. So we say the Lord is my strength, but don't miss that we're calling him Lord. We have the pleasure of addressing God by name because he has introduced himself to us. He has disclosed himself to us. And not just as the mighty creator of all things, which he is, but as the personal covenant keeping, promise making, keeping God. And he is that for you and for me. And that is deeply personal this morning. says he's a man of war. Don't miss that. God is a God of love and he's a man of war. And he goes to war because he's a God of love. So this victory of his, this sinking of the stone to the bottom of the sea, it's not just personal for him. It's also a display of his mighty power. It indicates a powerful victory Verses four through 11. Just consider the verbs here. Pharaoh's chariots and host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord. Here's what it does. It shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you Overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes like stubble at the blast of your nostrils. That's an image, isn't it? The waters are piled up and the floods stood up in a heap and the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. I mean, they'd just gone through this. The enemy is threatening and taunting. He blows his wind. Sea covers them. They're gone. They sink like lead. They sink like lead in the mighty waters and they are no more. Now, this is powerful. Israel, friends, was up against cutting-edge military operation. Twelve times between chapters 14 and 15, horses are mentioned. Twelve times, chariots are mentioned. This is an army with wheels and horses and weapons and everything that comes with Pharaoh's operation as one of, if not the greatest and most powerful king of his age. And Israel was up against 
cutting edge military. They were up against a determined enemy. You didn't miss it. Verse nine, quote, I will pursue and overtake and divide the spoil and desire I have is to fill, uh, take my fill of them and I'll draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. They were out for blood to slaughter the 1.5 million or enough to shut them down and take them back in chains. And let that just be an image of how much Satan hates you and what he's out for. The fruit in the garden was desirable to the eyes. It was good for food. It was against the will of God. It was tantalizing. It was tempting. It held out promise. You fill in the blank for yourself this morning. If there's something that cuts against the the grain of the commands of our Lord that feels good and looks good and seems promising and you think will make you happy and you think you can hide it. Not from him. That's enough to work with in fighting temptation. But doesn't it help to read a verse like this? I mean, maybe for you, what you need to do to fight temptation this week is to write out, depending on your handwriting, you could type it out. You could ask someone else to write it out. I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. And then just scrawl out a little bit of something about your temptation this week, because it's all together. And that temptation is how Satan means to get it done. He stands behind this whole Egyptian operation and all the stubbornness and movement and determination of this great enemy Pharaoh, believe it. Israel's up against a cutting-edge military, a determined enemy, and they're in the wrong place. They really are, humanly speaking. Take a look at chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of, skipping it, between Migdal and the sea, in the front of Baal Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Following the instructions, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. So the Lord leads them to a place where Pharaoh, a good military guy, is going to conclude that they are shut in. They have nowhere to go. They're up against a determined foe. They're up against a whole military. They got women and kids in tow and they're stuck between a sea and an army. And why has God done that? And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And you will see how. The Lord's backed him up to this place right here. This is his operation. You know, some events seem inevitable in hindsight. Historians always puzzle over, um, you know, the fall of the Roman Empire and the rise of uh, the Protestant Reformation. These things were inevitable. You connect all these dots, you can see in the movement of history, it was coming one way or another, or if it wasn't him, it would have been him, and this would have happened here, and this was just going to happen. A given war rises in some part of the world. And rightly, we study now, how did that happen? And could we figure out a way for that not to happen? Man, more historians should study those kinds of things. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, let me just suggest that there was no inevitability about Israel's deliverance. There was nothing, there was nothing that you could... Humanly speaking, and you look at the geography and you look at Pharaoh's army, everything about the historical situation does not lead to the deliverance of Israel. And God sometimes, God in this case, and often so designs our stories and our conversions and the conversion of the one you're praying for today in such a way as to prove that it wasn't your clever angle and it wasn't your timely answer And it wasn't even your prayers. Maybe you give up praying and then he saves them. (laughs) 
there's a lag on his answer sometimes. He just, he puts us and he's put them in a situation so that his deliverance would be plain. And so it was. This is not a scenario that could have been read by anyone on the ground, no matter how smart or perceptive they were. This victory is personal. It is, it is a powerful demonstration of God's, God's power. Clearly, clearly, he alone is saving here. The pronouns have moved from my strength and my song and my God and I will praise him and then it's all him. You, 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 you. And so in our songs, we pray to God our salvation and our song and our strength and we declare what he has done for us. Well, this victory is also incomparable. And this victory is incomparable because the victor himself is incomparable. And that's why we have to just ask these questions. Sometimes you just have to put it as a question. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. You know, if you need a little... Help shaking your prayers up, and we all do from time to time. The Psalms are helpful. A song like this is helpful. Here's a trick. Ask God a question. Who is like you? Who? Fill in the blank. There's plenty to ask. And it's a rhetorical question because there is no one like him. There is no one like him. And sometimes we just have to ask ourselves and hear ourselves ask the question out loud. Who is like that? There is no one like that. There is no one that can do what God has done. We are not like that. That's why we're talking to God now in the, song, in the song. Not you did this and then I did this and then it wasn't good. And then you met me halfway and I did this, but then you did this. You shattered the enemy. They went down to the depths of the sea because you sank them like a rock. You overthrow your enemies. We're not even singing to Moses here. So, so far in Exodus, Moses is a pretty big deal. God speaks through him. If God's going to do something, he's going to do it through Moses. It's how he gets his stuff done. It's how he gets his talking done. It's how he gets his saving done. Moses, lift up your staff. Moses, walk through. Moses is out front. Moses is a huge deal. Moses is the biggest character in the Old Testament. We can just put Abraham and David next to him. Tuck, tuck Noah in there. Props to Noah. Moses is big stuff. Right here, Moses is really big stuff. Moses was big stuff in chapter 14, the story of the Exodus. Moses vanishes on the page. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song. They all sang this song to the Lord. It wasn't the people of Israel singing to the Lord and Moses. It was Moses, at the end of the day, a mere man, whom God used, giving praise to the Lord. So there's no reason to boast in in anything God does in our church or in our life or in our families. Sometimes I think we, we kind of secretly want. I'm a public minister. Like you secretly want people to praise you. I hope they think that I'm great. Um, we got to stay out of the way. We plant water. Lord brings the growth. I am nothing. We remind you of that sometimes. Pray that your pastors know they're nothing. Now, we need encouragement. Moses will need encouragement. But we praise God alone. And we boast in Christ alone. And that's what any great songwriter, song leader, or preacher or prayer wants. This victory is incomparable. We're not like him. Moses is not like him. And the gods are not like him. Who is like you, O Lord? Among the gods. Now, the gods aren't named, and this isn't an acknowledgement that there are other gods. There were gods on the lips and on the prayers and in the imaginations and in the stories of all the nations surrounding, and Egypt had their own pantheon of gods, if they'd call it that. There was a god of the sun. It's curious to me that they're thrown under the sea at daybreak when the sun could see them. (laughs) It wasn't at night when the sun was out. There should have been something one of their gods could have done. Their gods did nothing for them. Here's how incomparable God is. The sea represented chaos. The God of the sea 
was a destroyer and a cruel enemy, and you don't want to be caught out to sea alone. Raging sea with its waves and tumult. The Lord did not even fight the sea. The Lord used the sea to get his fighting done. See that? The Egyptians worshiped the sun god. They worshiped the god of the sea. God doesn't fight their gods. The Lord uses the sea to fight them. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Sometimes it's good to do just a little comparison. Maybe you need to get a notepad out this week and the house that I'd like to have. The Lord. The Lord is greater than the house I'd like to have. (laughs) The job I'd like to have. All the praise I'd like to receive. Whatever it takes to get you in your place. But that's an application to this little question here. Who is like you? O Lord among the gods. Majestic in holiness. That's his person. Awesome in glorious deeds. You can use the word awesome around me. It's cool. Your parents might not let you use the word awesome. And if that's the case, they have a good reason for it. Because we really ought to save some words for the Lord and his awesome deeds. So whatever words you go ahead and save, don't, don't hold them to everybody else. Um, and, you know, expect other people to use those things around your kids in church, even me. Um, but maybe go ahead and save a few words and just say it's our family thing. Don't take that too far. But um, whatever it takes that we keep God in his place and we keep ourselves in ours. And a good question like that will go a long way. As for me. Well, it's been a hard year, hasn't it? About a year and a couple weeks since COVID started. I'm through COVID. So I can hug you now. Um, Actually, I I hugged a dear older saint this morning because I have had it and I'm out the other side. By a number of weeks, by the way. So I'm okay. It's been a hard year. A lot of big things have happened to some of you. Big bad things. Sometimes good things. This whole portion of the psalm is looking back. It's a song for us to sing. It's in here for us. It's in here for God's people to repeat. It's in here because apparently we need reminding of what God has done. And friends, the biggest thing that has ever happened to you if you're in Christ is that you were saved. It's the biggest thing that ever happened to you. The biggest thing you've ever been through are the waters of baptism. Saved from judgment and hell. United to Jesus. Crucified with him. His death and judgment counts as yours. And you're raised to new life. The biggest thing that ever happened to you, and there have been some big things that have happened to us, is bigger than all the bad things. The glory is greater than the suffering. And it is your salvation. And there's a reason why this is here for us to to repeat and to sing. And we need to sing these songs over and again and we can put a fresh angle on them and we can add a chorus and these kinds of things as we're exploring a bit of. Some of that's just to perk us up and to get our ears to perk up. Our historic tunes aren't in the Bible. They're awfully helpful, help us sing together. But these things need to stay fresh because we need to remember where we've been. Christy and I were out with uh, the Hodges, Drew and Chrissy, uh, last night for a dinner. And uh, it's not mere hospitality with a guest, but friendship and fellowship with deep friends. And you know, when we're with old friends, they remember things that I've forgotten. Some of those things are sort of embarrassing. And uh, he's missed most of his opportunities to share them with people so far in his visit. Some of those things are just incredible, what God has done. We work through how the Lord brought a child into our family or that trial, how the Lord brought us here. Some of the the turmoil of ministry and then the flowers on the other side you never expected. And with the distance of some years, you can forget the flowers and you can forget the trouble. And that's just in my short little life. And in a span of a number of years, we forget so easily. And we need songs to remember. 
we need to rehearse with line after line the glorious power of God to shatter our enemies and sink the stone of sin and death and hell for us. There's a reason why I'm preaching this to you like you were there. And it's because the story of Exodus is like a little model. You ever uh, get pitched to give to a, a new piece of construction? Maybe you're a part of a church. Maybe we'll do something like this in the future. And in the hallway, there'll be this beautiful little version of the thing that we hope to build. Well, it's kind of like what the Exodus is. And we can talk about it, but God in his kindness gave us a little model. What is our salvation like? What is our deliverance like? Our transfer from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, from darkness to light, from death to life. What is that like? From slavery to freedom and liberty in Christ. What is that like? Now with the full story, the Lord says to you and me, watch me back 1.5 million people into a corner, look at the army, see the chariots, see the horses. Look at Pharaoh's set jaw. Now look at the water. And it opens. That's what God has done for us. And this is a model of our salvation. And it's so good. And it's beautiful. And you don't need to give toward it. You just need to take. You just need to walk through. You just need to receive. And then you need to do what you can't help but doing, and that is you have to sing. Have to sing. Not as a debt, but as overflow of what God has done. And a song like this is intended not only to teach, but to stir you up in faith to believe it all the more. And never to forget it. Never to forget the gospel. You'd think this would be a good place to end the song. So if I was writing a song and putting it in the Bible and I came up with that, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. Done. Now what more can you say? But there's more. There's like half a song more. Is it more of the same? Yes and no. No in the sense it's pointing forward now to the rest of the book and the rest of the story and the rest of your story and mine. Yes in the sense that it's promising that the faithfulness of God to keep his word to do what he just did is the same faithfulness that means he will do what he has promised to do for us in the future. Now, you're saying, Pastor Trent, I can read English. And I say to you, you can't read Hebrew. Uh, not very good Hebrew either. And that's a little bit of an overstatement. But I have friends, and I do read those commentaries. So what's going on here under the surface of your Greek text, some, trans, some translations will put it in past tense. So you have led you have guided in verse 13. You could just as well translate it, you will, you will. This is one of those good is done moments. The things that Moses and Miriam and writing this and everyone's singing, the things that they're saying that God has done now, we're in the future. We're in the future to the things he said he'll do that are as good as done. This song is moving from the past to the future. It is teaching them about what God has done this song is one means by which God will take his people all the way home. And to our second reason now to sing, friends, sing to the Lord for he will most assuredly bring us home. And we need to sing in both directions, don't we? We have sung in both directions, haven't we? Oh God, our help. In ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter in the stormy blast, and our eternal home. And this little chorus drew a pen, which we may or may not keep. We may keep it, I like it. Age to age, you have been a dwelling place for your children. Guide us now forward into your light and lead us through the night. You see, Israel stood on the banks of that shore and she had that amazing deliverance behind her and she had all of Canaan filled with cities and armies in front of her. 
plenty of night to come. And God is promising her through this song, she'll be just fine. If just like she did in trusting him and walking through the water, she entrusts him to fight for her in the days and years and life ahead. This is about getting home. Look at verse 13. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Look at verse 17. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, Jerusalem, the place, O Lord, which you've made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. This is about getting home to the presence of God. And it's about God leading us and guiding us there. Verse 13, you have led, you have guided. This is about getting us all the way home for sure. And God will lead all of his people home. You'll notice in 14, the peoples have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia, the chiefs of Edom. You see the, the nations surrounding were melting. If you go to Joshua and you read the story of Jericho, they were melting inside that city in fear with a full opportunity to repent and submit to the God of Israel, but with no interest in doing so huddled in fear behind the walls. Yet there is one Rahab who turns in faith and confesses her faith and allegiance and worship to the God of Israel. And would you know that in Revelation chapter 15, after several chapters of speaking about the horrors of this age and Satan who stands behind the machinery of the state, And the world, and I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand, and they sing the song of Moses. That's the one we're preaching on right now. The servant of God and the song of the lamb. It's the fullness of the story. Great and amazing are your deeds. O Lord, the Almighty, just and true are your ways. O King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. Yes, some among Edom and Philistia and some one woman tucked into Jericho will turn. Not all will melt. Some will be melted by the Lord himself and made new. God will get all of his people home. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. And you will bring them and plant them in your holy mountain, the people whom you have purchased. God will get you home. How will he do it? Well, there are many obstacles along the way and there are many things to fear. I like that we have another stone image here in verse 16. Terror and dread will fall upon them. So this is, if you will, the armies of the world. Imagine a worst case scenario. We pray many years down the road. Everyone's set against the church. Terror and dread will fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as stone. Here's an image for your past. God sinking a stone to the bottom of the sea. Here's an image for your future, a stone, perfectly still, no threat to you. Remember when Jesus comes to the demoniac, some legion of demons inside him, begging, begging to leave him alone. He sends them into pigs and the pigs rush into the water to their death. Our Lord Jesus is the king of all. And death and hell and Satan can't touch his people. And our unflinching nature in hard times under pressure, not fearing loss for faithfulness, is one way the world knows. God is God. And it is one way he causes them to stand still as stone. He gets all his people home. He does it. And he gets us all the way home. You and I are closer than these saints here on the page. But we're not there yet. 
We have the Holy Spirit and Jesus has come to dwell among us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We know the real presence of God. But one day we'll see the face of Jesus. Our dear saint and sister Joanne Allen is in the hospital this week. For those of you who don't know, she is not well and that's an understatement. Physically speaking, we expect her to pass soon. It's not often that I say this from the pulpit, except that I was just reminded in spending some time with her this week in the middle of a day studying this passage and we read this to her and prayed for her. It's not unusual at a bedside that the person or somebody near them lets you know their favorite hymn. And she had a favorite hymn. Songs, friends. Have a favorite song on your deathbed. Have it in your head. Have it to suggest to sing at your funeral so that you can hand down that vision of God and strengthen the saints that are there. Joanne Allen will be just fine. She is good and safe. She doesn't look it. But neither did these people on the shore. But friends, if God's word is true, we look at death in the face and we hate it. We despise it. But it doesn't have victory over us. So pray for Joe, okay? And do you have a favorite song? Maybe it would be, Oh God, our help in ages past. God's victory, his promise, his getting us home is for all time. Forever and ever. Forever is the last word. Of course it is. Forever is the last word and it is the second to the last word. It's the last word in the song and it's the last word before that one. Forever and ever. There's no turning it over. There's no revoking it. There's no undermining it. There's no threatening it. For all of our trouble here, there will be no trouble ever again there. The Lord reigns. Pharaoh does not. Well, some concluding observations and a question. What shall I say about tambourines and women in dancing? It's all there. I mean, I think it's good just to laugh at ourselves sometimes. We sure are goofy. I think sometimes we'll get to the new creation and just bug each other. Oh, you're the ones that said you have to have a grand piano. We didn't have one. What were we supposed to do? You guys didn't use a tambourine? Here. This is a little hand drum. You've got Moses' sister goes out with a hand drum. All the women lead all of Israel in singing. It's good. You know, on the music piece, we can fall in two ditches. It should be like this. And the other ditch is, no, it should be like that. I just tend to see a lot of variety. They're picking up things within range. And you've got fine music. We read about, you know, the, the harp there in Revelation. I would call this folk music. I would call half of Israel banging little tambourines folk music. Now, if you bring one to church, you're going to create a situation for me and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. You know, it'd be fun to integrate tambourine at some point. I thought about telling Drew, your job is to get us clapping and doing a little bit of tambourine in the afternoon. Maybe one day. And it'd be wholly biblical. On women, we fall into a couple ditches. They're no different. That's what the world is saying. They're no different. How dare you, Christian church, recognize distinctions. Or, or they're so different. That's our error. We, we, we flip the other way. They're so different. Anything a man can do, a woman can't do. So nursery and little kids. Now we've got to get it right. We have explicit biblical teaching. We've worked through things before in this church. First Timothy 2 is important. We will get it right. We will be faithful. We won't have a woman preach or teach doctrine in mixed settings. There's, other, there's more to say. But to have women reading scripture and praying in the service seems wholly appropriate to me. I may fiddle with that over time. And not just based on this text, but other things. And then with dancing, you know, it's either evil or it's innocent. It depends on who you're dancing for. It depends on who you're dancing with. I'll leave it there. But you got a lot of dancing in the Bible. There's about 15 passages like this in the Old, Tam- Old Testament. The women got out the tambourines and everyone danced. The women got out the tambourines and everyone danced. The women got out the tambourines and everyone danced. I take it it pleases the Lord. You know, when it says sing to the Lord, praise him. Another way to translate that is decorate him. Pharaoh's officers were decorated generals and decorated military leaders. You can see their strength on their uniforms. 
And in our praise, we decorate our Lord. We speak around here of adorning the Lord in song and praise. Well, another observation is that you've got some people under the water and you've got some people on the shore. And so I need to put a question to you this morning. Where are you at? Are you underwater? At the end of the day, there will be two places. There will be those who are sunk under by the judgment of God. And there will be those who pass through the waters of judgment with the Lord Jesus and make it to shore. And it won't be any of your good work that does it. If you're thinking you're at church to contribute some good thing in the mix so that God accepts you, take courage and just give that up and entrust yourself to the Lord. We have walking on the ground through the Red Sea. No one can boast in that. Well, I walked. Come on. We have dancing on the other side. So my invitation to you is to take a walk. Come to Jesus in faith. Accept his life, his death, and his resurrection as your only hope. And then come next week and let's sing together. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks and praise for this beautiful psalm. And as we consider now our own response of singing, which is wholly appropriate after hearing your word, we pray that your name would be decorated, that your glory and your renown would be adorned, that the sound of our voices singing out as they are from our hearts filled with the knowledge of our salvation and all you've done and filled with faith in your great promises would please you. You don't love sound for sound. You love those who sing to you from hearts full of salvation, who say to you, you are my strength and you are my song and who is like you, O Lord. And Father, we pray as you teach us through song that through song, you would also take us all the way home. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.